what's what's in your heart? What's your spiritual side of things? I mean, do you only look at material things? And if you do, you live in the world. You should look at other things that are beyond that. Uh, why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your birthright? Why were you put on earth? Hi, this is Mick Tully, and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. Yep, it's Mick Tully. Your New Year's resolution not to listen to my nonsense has been broken. My New Year's resolution is to not say erm as much and those dreadful pauses I do all the time. I'm working on it. In fact, I've just broken it, haven't I? New Year, new podcast. Well, sort of new. It's the second part to the Eric Paulson road trip. There's some real pearls of wisdom here. Hickson rode up on his bike one day when I went to practice, and he goes, yeah, now you're a pro. Maybe it's a good idea you don't train with me anymore. Wow. And so I was so bummed out. I was like, well, shit. Here's my idol, my grappling idol I'm looking up to. Uh, I'm happy to be a part of, and learn from him. And all of a sudden, he just comes up and says, sorry, you can't train with me anymore. And it was due to the fact that I was fighting. I, I was already fighting professionally in Japan at the time, so... You know, uh, they just didn't know. A lot of the guys didn't know it. I was up for my purple belt. It was funny. Uh, and one of the one of my the guys that I trained with in class regularly, I walked in. And he got his purple belt before me, and he started after me. And I go, "Oh, congratulations! That's wonderful. Uh, congratulations on your purple belt." And he goes, "Actually, it was for you, but you weren't here, so they gave it uh, to me instead." Wow. And I go, well, congratulations. I go, I, all I want is the students. All I want is the the grappling. All I want to do is grapple with people. I don't care about a belt. Yeah. I don't care about a belt. I want the people. I want I want, I want. want the good rolling. That's all that matters. And and he goes, well, maybe if you represent us somehow. And I go, well, I, I just come here and train. And they go, maybe if you grapple in tournaments. And I'm like, but that guy doesn't grapple in tournaments. And he just got belted. Yeah. So, and they're like, well... And then I, and this guy goes, well, well, where were you? How come you didn't show up last week? And I go, well, I was in Japan. And he goes, well, what were you doing in Japan? And I go, I was fighting. And he goes, fighting? What kind of fighting? And I go, I was fighting in a thing called shoot wrestling, also known as shuto. And he's like, well, what's that? And I go, it's mixed martial arts. It's uh, punching, kicking, throwing, and submission. And he goes, you fought in that. Well, I have been. I've been fighting since 93. The guy goes, you fought? And he goes, well, how'd you do? And I go, I won. And he goes, you won? And I go, yeah. And he goes, it's no big deal. I go, congratulations on your belt. It doesn't matter. I go, I don't care about a belt. I just care about the training partners. Yeah. And so that's, and then next thing you know, uh, I was a bartender. They asked me if I wanted to, uh, 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 no, so I was a bartender. And I was a bartender for all the Brazilians because I worked at in Manhattan Beach at Sunsets right next to the pier, which was one of the hottest bars in all of Manhattan Beach. And it was a lot of dancing, a lot of pretty girls would come in. It was a beach bar. And so I was a bartender there, and I used to bartend for Hoist, and, uh, and all the Brazilians would come in, and I'd give them free juice drinks. Yeah. I give them, you know, because they, no, nobody drank beer. Nobody, they all would come in and order juice, so I make them a juice cocktail. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyways, Higa Machado walked into my bar and he said, "Hey, how's your jujitsu doing, Eric?" He goes, "I said, uh, well, you know, I've been fighting and uh, just rolling with whoever I can get my hands on. I have a, a really good wrestling coach I'm training with, but uh, I really don't have any jujitsu guys to go with anymore." He goes, "You're no longer at my cousin's," and I went, "No, I, I kind of got kicked out." told me I couldn't go there anymore and he said well he felt really bad and and, uh, he said well maybe maybe if it was okay I have to ask all my brothers and make sure it's politically correct maybe you could train with us and this before you got your purple belt I never had a purple belt you never had a purple belt nobody ever gave me a purple belt wow because I got caught up in all the turmoil of all the BS I had my blue belt for 16 over 16 years I got my blue belt from Hickson in 1990 I hadn't been belted again I I got three different brown belts from three different people I gave them back to these people I said I've decided that if I'm going to get belted I would like to get belted from who if I can't get belted from Hickson I'll get belted from his cousin 
uh, Higgin or the Machados because of the fact that you know same yeah, same lineage yes same lineage they train and same knowledge uh, you know a little obviously a little bit different but uh next best thing eh? yeah so so that was it and so you know I've had three different people give me a brown belt and I gave them back to them and I said oh thank you but uh, no thanks yeah and so I waited and then so 16 years later it's 2004 uh, Higgins said hey uh, Eric would you be interested to come to a black belt class I have a black belt class on uh, during the week and I'm inviting you and I said uh, is it okay if I come in as a as a blue belt and he said uh, well just come down and let's see see how things fare and I go well if it's a black belt class and I'm a blue belt catching people, that might not be good. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to sound brash or cocky, but I was a blue belt for 16 years, so you know I wasn't really a blue belt. I was a golden blue belt. The golden blue belt. Oh, super! Thank you. I was Sam. a golden blue belt. So, anyway, so so I walked in and Higgins said, "Here, put a brown belt on, just see how you roll. I want yeah. to see how you roll with everybody." Because I don't want to see any crazy locks, no leg locks. <laughs> I want to see jujitsu, only jujitsu. So I went in and I rolled with uh, six people. I caught five people in arm locks and chokes. And then uh, and uh, continued to go to the class, the black belt class, over and over. And then, uh, I don't know, it was like six months after I started doing that, Higgin awarded me my black belt. Yeah, but you see, so I went from from a 16-year blue belt without a purple belt. I love purple belt because I love the color. Yeah. I, no, I really do. I love the color of purple. If you take the rainbow, for instance, the most colorful or powerful color in a rainbow is purple. Yeah. Because it's a merge of all the lights to create a compressed light, which the compressed light is purple. Purple is a mixture of blue and pink. Blue is heaven, pink is earth, and when it combines together, it creates purple. Creates purple. So, in the meantime, never had a purple belt. Uh, I was overlooked. I competed in the '96 Pan Ams. I won a gold medal. I thought for sure I'd get belted. Never got belted because I was still fighting professionally. Yeah. So I kind of got overlooked. I watched all my friends get promoted. I, as I said, didn't care about the belt. So all I want to do is continue to roll. Yeah. So at the time, I was rolling. Uh, every single week, five days a week, no gi, uh, rolling a little bit here and there with the gi, but mostly no gi, continuing to roll, continuing to roll, going, coming over here and training with some of the judokas from Edinburgh, uh, learning and, and traveling all over, train, taking Rico Tipperelli, accepting him as my wrestling coach, yeah. and taking him under and trading some of the catch wrestling uh, submission stuff for for the wrestling with the takedowns and then all the ground all those the wrestling from the ground Enrico's my coach for six years and then I introduced him to Higgin Higgin Machado and he yeah. became Higgin's coach for a while and Dan Indesano's coach yeah and uh you Rick, see these, Rick, are, these are huge names alright Rico Ciparelli is Dan Gable's number, number one one of his top great guys was, was Rico Ciparelli he was in the movie Fox Catcher he was the only guy to beat uh Mark Schultz in that movie. Really? Yeah, and Rico's just a stud, and he was the one that created the Raw. He's the one that created the Raw gym, the Raw team. Yeah, which was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was, uh, you know, Tom Erickson, Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, Frank Trigg, Vladimir Matashenko, Matt Linlin. Wow. Fernando Vescozuela. He had some of the top guys. He was the coach. And was this before or after Team Quest? Before. Before, right. Yeah, because there's some serious, there's some serious, serious names. So I, those were, I trained, got to train with all those guys, and that's how I met Randy and Dan Henderson. I had to roll with those guys. How did you find? How did you find Henderson? Um, strong is strong. The only thing I could do with Henderson is catch him with a heel hook. Really? He's too strong. He just his defense. Uh, one of the reasons him and Rico split was because Rico kept telling him he needed to run and, and condition and. And he wouldn't condition and run. He was just such an accomplished athlete yeah. that all he wanted to do is just wrestle and fight. Right. Rico goes, you have to run. you got to do all these other things. And he didn't want to. 
So Rico was just kind of getting mad at some of the guys, and then he took it. Then Hendo got his own fight in Japan, and then Randy cornered him, and then they split. Right. Yeah. He said, "You're under contract with me. You can't just go book your own fight in Japan. You, you're under management by me." Yeah. And then Rico was mad because Randy went with him, and then that's how they split. And that's how where Team Quest came from. Yeah, because Lindley was involved with them as well, wasn't he? Yes. They right. all split and went to Team Quest. So. Right. Anyways, in the meantime, uh, so, so that's, I continue my grappling regularly. Uh, and then it was eventually I, fi- I finally got belted under under Master Higgin. Um, like I said, I wanted it was under the Machados, but under under Higgin. Yeah, I don't know if you you ever heard the story about the time. I think Higgin had to get. Did he have his appendix taken out? And the, the rumor was going around, you know, about he was on a tear at the time. He was winning everything, and the Helio put the shout out that they. Him and uh, Hickson had to get together, and it was a pretty close run thing. There was, there was that was a, a long time. I saw the match. You uh, saw the match. Yeah, yeah, Higgin was 19 and Hickson was about 20, I think 23. Yeah. Well, Higgin and I are the same age, and Hoyce and I are the same age. That's how I got along with those guys so well. Yeah. I used to I used to bartend with Hoyce's ex girlfriend, and she used to call him and say, "She go, hey Eric, are you going to train with Hoyce today?" I go, "Yes," and she go. Gonna train with Hoist. Oh, okay. So she called Hoist. She goes, "Hey, Hoist, I'm here with Eric. He says he's gonna kick your ass." All right, see you later. <laughs> and I remember going into the garage and I go, "Hi, sir. How are you?" He goes, "Put on the kimono." He'd be mad. <laughs> and I go, "What are we doing today?" He goes, "Put on the kimono. We're rolling." And I was like, "Uh." So Hoist basically taught me how to play the drums. Really. With every part of my tap. body. Right. Yeah. Tap yeah. with my hands, my feet, my hand, or my mouth. <laughs> and then. Uh, one time he smothered me, and, and when I was tapping, he wouldn't let me go, and I started having a panic attack. Yeah, Hoist is a real McCoy, isn't he? Yeah, but he hadn't been established at that time, so I think that was another thing, too. Like, when I got to go with Hickson, Hickson would let you do anything to him, and uh, Hoist was still creating that establishment as a, as a fighter, competitor. Yeah. And, and when they offered the fight to the UFC, they wanted Hickson, and he said, I'm already accomplished, so the family decided... It would be great for Hoist. Yeah. And so they gave it to Hoist, which is great for Hoist's career. I mean, look at him now. He's, yeah. you know, such an accomplished fighter and great teacher. And now yeah. he... He's good for jiu-jitsu he, in general. Well, he, now he's got a great sense of humor. He's a, he's a father. Yeah. He's got a lot of great guys. I mean, I know for a while there, um, some guys were complaining that it was hard to get belted. Yeah. They said, oh, they hold back on their belting. And... Uh, Things are different today because I think the process of getting a belt is a little faster than it was yeah. back in the early days. I remember when the I went in the garage and there was a bunch of blue belts from Brazil and it was like black belts today. Yeah. And so uh, things are a little different. You know, yeah, now, I, now there's a lot of black belts. A black what, belt all over the place. Yeah. What was the, what, what was your view? <laughs> I don't know about you. It's like I at the uh, I went to the ADCCs. Uh, in 2011 when Braulio fought uh, Jacare and uh, yeah great fight great tournament I mean grappling it, tournament yeah grappling yeah, tournament yeah not a fight no 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 because no, a fight is bare knuckle or, or with gloves yeah. and they kick and punch and, yeah okay but, so you but, mean a grappling match yeah the, re- the reason I'm saying it is I saw I saw Henzo saw Henzo go up against Mario Sperry and you know it, the, the floor was really wet it was like, it was like the William Chung William Chung scenario. The, the guys were slipping around everywhere, but the, Henzo was just being Henzo. You know what I mean? Even then, he was still. You could see he was enjoying it, and he was enjoying. Yeah, and that's why I want to look at Henzo. Whenever I look at Hoist, I never look at the wins. I always look at that last fight. You know, the Matt Hughes thing. Yeah. And it, I I don't know what your views are, but I looked at it. And I thought it was probably the worst decision for him personally ever. Oh, to fight Matt Hughes? Yeah. Well, what's, what's your Ricardo Alomero, same thing. He got cracked, and then he got choked with the, we call it the Schultz headlock. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt cracked him with an overhand, and then took him right away, took him down, and then headlocked him, and then went to the side with his head underneath and finished him with the Schultz headlock. The Schultz headlock, is a, it's called a choke pin. It's used in wrestling, and it's a catch wrestling move. Uh, you, put, you go head and arm choke, like a head and arm. 
Yeah. Wrestlers had an arm. You put your head in the hole or in the well between the uh, elbow and the leg, and then you just squeeze your elbows. And what happens is they about they, as they're about to pass out. They flip to their back and you pin them. Right. But uh, if you hold it, they'll go out. And so he chokes Ricardo Alamera out with that. So Matt Hughes, I mean, you lost to Matt Hughes, big deal. I mean, yeah. everyone, a lot of guys lost to Matt Hughes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, was it a was it a very comparative? Uh, it, it's just weird. Like Hoist could go and fight Sakuraba, who's a great submission guy, and they could fight for hours. Yeah. And then he fought Matt, and and he got beat. But then Matt could go fight with Sakuraba and have a super hard time with Sakuraba. So it's just weird how how the matchups actually play themselves out. Yeah. It, but it was, you you just mentioned catch again, and obviously you know. Well, Matt's it, Matt's. Like a catch wrestler. I mean, yeah. he's a wrestler that has great submissions. And and do they embrace jiu-jitsu? Of course, because you're competing against jiu-jitsu. It's like a, it's like a jiu-jitsu man going against a great wrestler and never learning wrestling whatsoever in his life. You yeah. have to learn so you understand what you're up against. Yeah, you see, this is... This, this is uh, it's like a boxer fighting a ground guy and never embracing the ground whatsoever. Yeah. And it's like a, you know... Uh, a, a grappler fares much better against a boxer than a boxer fares with a ground guy. Well, th- th- this is going to lead me on to something I'm going to ask you about. Um, the, 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 the great himself, Gene LaBelle, right? Yeah. Probably the first ever, ever yeah, of, of this era, the, mo- the modern era, having that MMA fight. With Savage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Milo Savage, right? Yes. Yeah. And you, you, tra- you train with Gene LaBelle, right? Yes, I have. Spectacular his submission, his knowledge of submission and judo, and he's got an open heart and an open door, and he teaches, and he's funny. Yeah, he's right so up my a alley. A lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people nowadays, they can't see past, they can't see past the the kindly uncle in the pinky, and they don't realize what a killer that guy. Even now, right? Well, he does it. He, he did it kind of as a joke. I mean, his his wife. Wash his white gi with a, a something red, and it became pink, and then he just kept it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And for him, it was just a kind of a running joke, and he just kept it. And but don't a, think for one second that that man wouldn't snap your neck. <laughs> a guy, he put a neck crank on me from the mount, and he only put it halfway on, and I was scre- I couldn't even scream. My feet, were, my hands were moving. Really? Yeah, he has some really spectacular stuff. And as far as catch wrestling. Gene LaBelle is probably one of the last great, spectacular catch wrestlers out there that has got so much knowledge. I mean, there's some great guys like Fujiwara, Antonio Inoki, Yuri Nakamura is an unbelievable coach as far as the catch wrestling submission style. Yes. Uh, It's kind of a Japanese uh, catch wrestling style. And there's some great guys. Some some of the grapplers from uh, Suzuki, some of the guys... uh, Shudo from Pancrase. It's that was a catch style. These guys all came from from uh, the Snake Pit uh, lineage uh, with Carl Gotch and uh, Billy Robinson. And yeah, well, you you went up you went up to you went up to Billy Riley's once. Well, yeah, yeah, I've been up there. Uh, I met Roy Wood. Him and his daughter came and trained on a seminar one time, and uh, Roy Wood came in to say hello and then watched the whole seminar. And we hit it off, and we talked. Then we went to, uh, afterwards to have a, a bite to eat and a, and a beer. And uh, uh, interesting, interesting. Now he's promoting catch wrestling. The only thing with catch wrestling that I love catch wrestling, but the only thing that I see uh, as a grappling art to make it a complete grappling art is you have to acknowledge the back game. Yeah. And I know in catch wrestling, if you if the guy goes to his back, it's a pin, and the match is over. But in today's grappling world. Aside from catch wrestling or wrestling or judo, the pin doesn't matter. Yeah. Because the, the grappling match continues until somebody taps from submission. Yeah. doesn't win from an advantage or from points or a pin. So to have that rule in there is great, but you have to acknowledge the, the back game. And yeah. most good, not good, great grapplers today are good off their backs. They're good at sweeps, arm bars, chokes. Uh, they're great at their guards, all their different guards. You know, so you have to acknowledge that aspect. It's it's great to have a top game, but chances are you're not going to be on top of everybody when you're grappling. Listening to this, you'll realize, first of all, Eric's an innovator. He mentioned that earlier with the SDX. Well, the thing is, is JKD 
is you utilize every resource possible and you take the best of everything that you get and you combine it. Well, that, it's funny because I remember I remember we had a conversation years ago and you were talking, and you were the first guy that I heard mention Westmoreland wrestling, Cornish wrestling, you know, Cumberland wrestling. And it was like, I think you were one of the first people to actually make me realize that every single there's always going to be an indigenous martial art, no matter where you are. It's just part of the human condition that we need to learn. Well, grappling's all over the world. Yeah, I mean, it's been a part of drunken history. <laughs> drunken, <laughs> drunken history. I mean, two guys go out and have some beers. Next thing you they end up in a wrestling match, right? Yeah, you're going, you're going to wrestle. You are going to, you are going to definitely wrestle. It's a. Uh, it's like the gentleman's sport. You don't just go get drunk and start punching each other in the face, but. You have a good wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> drunken, sport. Drunk, drunken, sport. Res, drunken wrestling is part of the Minnesota culture since you're born. Yeah, it, it's, it's, hey, it's those long winter nights, eh? Hey, how you so doing? Good. Let's go have some beer. Night. Hey, let's go back and wrestle. Hey, sounds good. Yeah. Your heritage yourself, because if you ever look at any of Eric's t-shirts, there'll always be something about Vikings. Celtic, also, right? there's Celtic. Um, so my history is the fact that my grandfather is a Chatfield. So uh, Chatfield is uh, British, it's uh, English and German. Right. Grandmother was Tweedy and McClary, which was Scottish and Irish. Hey, I know that's something I liked, you, I liked about you. Now on my other side, my grandfather, my grandfather on my dad's side was Paulson, which was Swedish, yeah. and his mother was Norwegian. Hammer, Hammer was the last name. Wow! So I have, Hammer. I've got Norwegian, Swedish, Irish, Scottish, German, and English. Yeah. Tell me that's not Celtic. Yeah, <laughs> that, that 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 sounds that sounds like an international debate in society if I've ever heard it. Right. There They're not guys who are going to force their way through anything. Well, that's why I fit in. I feel it's normal here. Like, I feel like I belong here because I feel maybe my ancestors are all from here. Yeah. Or maybe I've lived here before. Who knows? But but I just, I get along. And then also the, your weather over here yeah. is identical to Minnesota weather. Yeah. Well, you see, this is, you know, it was a real shock to me because snow. I only ever go in the summer. Oh. And then I found You've out. You've never that, seen all the snow and all the ice? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not fun. You know, yeah. uh, you know, Minnesotans' favorite pastime in the winter is ice fishing. Yeah. Heck yeah! You get a ice house, you sit out on the on the lake uh, with a hand warmer, and you sit there and you, you bore a hole into the lake, and you either or cut a huge square, <laughs> and you sit there with the spear and with a minnow down there, and you either spear uh, the walleyes or the pikes, or you. Use a fishing pole and catch walleyes and perch. That's a, I tell you what, that's some, they're, they're a hardy race. Oh, yeah, don't you know then that that they're Ufta. like. Ufta. Ufta, yeah, Ufta is. Uh, uh, you see, this is the thing, it's like when I got there, when I first went to, Min when I went, first went to Minneapolis, like now, the, the crazy thing is now, you see loads of Somalians. And I would love to have seen those guys' faces for the first winter they ever had oh, in Minneapolis. Because every taxi driver's Somalian now, right? Yeah. And you turn up, you can imagine, they were like, what the fuck have I got So you get a lot of Cambodians, Laotians, right. uh, that are moving to Minnesota because uh, Minnesota is one of the cleanest states in the entire country. Right. Wow. One of the healthiest, natural, cleanest states. Yeah, it was, it was very... I think it was in the top five places to live in the, the world. Uh, oh yeah, don't you know with the white fish, the luke fish, <laughs> and the pickled herring. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was down at that there lake yesterday. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. If I haven't got any Norwegian listeners, I will do now. That's gonna work. Oh yeah. So, right. We could just, we were talking about Gene LaBelle earlier, right? Gene LaBelle's spectacular, him and Gokor. Open heart, uh, teach tons of technique. Those guys have got more knowledge. And how, do you, how, do you think, how do you think now, because Rousey was on a tear, now she's been beaten, and everyone's now writing her off. Like last week she was walking, well, two weeks ago, she was uh, walking on water. Well, and now uh, they're writing her off. That's stupid. It's like when Mike, when Mike Tyson lost. 
Everyone's yeah. like, Mike Tyson's a beast. He kills everybody. And then he lost. And they go, what a loser. Everybody always has something negative to say. Stupid. Yeah. Stupid. So what? Doesn't take what about, what about all the greatness no. she did? How about all the great victories? How about all the lack of losses she had? And then all of a sudden she got, and she got knocked out. Guess what? Everybody that's a, That is a life, that's a life lesson. Yeah. And a, you, a life lesson you learn, you learn from that or you you die from that. Yeah, I remember so you're either going to come back strong yeah. or stronger or you just go, you know what, I'm done, I quit. Yeah. I, I'm going to start uh, selling insurance. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's her nature. No, no, I don't think so either. That's what uh, Joe Rogan always says that about the stand-up comedy. Run, Roddy Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield had that. Um, he, he, he I get no respect. I get no respect. <laughs> but you know that he always goes on about being an aluminum. Uh, we call it aluminium. You call it aluminum, right? Yes. Uh, aluminum because he, he got out. Hey, what are those hills? There, those are those are Roman burial grounds. There are. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, Ro- Roman there. burial grounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. Where's your metal detector? <laughs> I tell you what, some guy wanted. He, he found thirty million. Wow. Thirty million pounds worth of Roman coins. Yeah, because you know, yeah, because you know the Romans. Yeah. The Romans got run out of this country. They didn't think they were going because they were Romans. Yeah, Jesus. Who ran them out of the country? Well, well, the Picts ran them out mostly, but it was like who did the Picts? They were they were basically the. You know the guys with the painted faces going crazy. Oh, yeah. So they got run out. But the Romans—that's why we have so much treasure buried here. Because the Romans never carried it back. No, they were coming back. They were going to go back, get some of their mates, and then they were coming back to give you. And then, well, then wow. we were going to really get it. You know, that's the way they looked at it. But then they never came back. So that's why we have. That's why you have so much. That was a tactical retreat that ended up just never coming go, back. Going right. Huh? Going right. Going right. Yeah, means. Uh, going bad, not not going right. They go, it's going. It went right. Oh, right. Oh, it went awry. Yes. Yeah, that's. Yeah, but empires rise and empires fall, Eric. That's. We're we're, we're finding that everywhere. So yeah. Same right. with the fighters. Same yeah, with the fighters. Yeah. So. Yeah. Then you rise again. You learn. You learn from your losses. Well, Randy, Randy Couture said that. Do you remember Randy said once? He goes. You show me a guy who hasn't got a loss on his record, and I'll show you a guy who's never fought. Anymore. Never fought. Yeah. And he's a three-time heavyweight and two-time light heavyweight champion, five-time champion of the wow. UFC. What a stud! I was there when he fought his first fight, and I remember he fought a guy named Tony the Viking. Tony the Viking was a big Finnish guy who hated hated any other race, creed, or color other than what he was, which was a white, really? uh, big Finnish Viking. Yeah, very, very racist. Anyways, he uh, he fought. And I said, hey, Tony, are you going to train against that? Randy, Randy's a great wrestler, you know. And he goes, I do not train. I fight in the street and kill everybody, and I do the same in the cage. And I go, okay, well, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> I did, I did it. And ding, sports. ding, he ran out, and Randy balled up. Really? So he ran out straight, ran straight at Randy. Randy balled up. And he kind of just hit a double and then took him down and just beat him up. It wow. was perfect. Randy played played one of the smartest games ever. Well, this I'll tell you what, this is a quite a pertinent question to ask a guy who's been at the forefront of MMA. Uh, oh, he hit a bird. Wow. You see that? Bird. You yeah, see we could have got that bird and cooked it. Uh, roadkill. Well, it was fresh. It was fresh. Ah. fresh we could have yeah. actually got Believe that. A lorry in front of us has just hit a bird. And we've oh just been gosh. eating feathers, yeah. We, we could have easily pulled over. That was a pheasant. So I didn't go to waste. Uh, i tell you something. I've had my headlamps. My headlamp got busted once by a pheasant running out in front of them. Because they that, yeah. Yeah, 300 pounds worth of damage. Yeah, sometimes those peasants, they uh, <laughs> they don't have any money, so they just come running out in the roads. They're pheasants. They're oh, pheasants. 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 Now, it is. It, yeah, so, you're... To my mind, anyway, you're the only guy that I know that has been able to get because now it's that MMA now you know, people consider that a martial art on its own, right? It, you're the it only will guy. be. It will be in three months because we are actually uh, I'm actually putting all my uh, formulating all the drills and everything so it could be taught to normal people. It's part of the CSW curriculum. It's, it's actually going to be formulated. I'm actually filming it and creating manuals yeah. that will actually 
teach everyone how to teach MMA and how to teach it so it, it, people don't get hurt. Yeah, but you see, this is the thing, right? So it can be taught to the masses. Yeah. So then Greg Nelson and I are getting together, and we already have it planned out. We're putting a huge life work package of MMA together, probably 10 DVDs with booklets, with booklets and online curriculum. Yeah. Which uh, we'll have a membership. Well, that's, well, you see, this is the thing. It's like I've I've often said, you're the only guy. Instead of having to go here, there, and everywhere, get it all together, and then try and figure it all out, you're the guy who's putting it all together and saying, look, you, all you have to do is this is by the numbers. Do this, turn up, work hard, you will get the results. Right? That's true. And here's the thing: uh, everything's formulated and put together, broken down into a system, so it's easy to learn. Yeah. Uh, easy to teach. It makes it applicable for everybody. It's battle tested, combat ready. So yeah. it's not. It's not. Uh, here's a move that's a fifty percent. Uh, there's a fifty percent chance this will work or it may not work. Yeah. Uh, I fought. I competed. I know if it works or if it doesn't work, and what percentage it usually is. So I try to keep it around the seventy to eighty percent. Yeah. Um, when some people say, yeah, I teach only thing, everything I teach is everything that works. I don't teach anything that doesn't work. You can't say that because not everything works on everybody. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you can get away with Sometimes everything works if you can pull it off. So there you have it. Most, most guys who get the twister put on them will scream, yeah? And Hoist Gracie thinks he's going to a yoga class. No, that was Hickson. Was it Hickson? Yeah. Oh, right. Hoist laughed at the footlock. Hickson laughed at the guillotine stretch uh, uh, twister. But again, it goes back to what we were saying before. You know, from what I from what I've read, I think I think yeah, the Gracies, you know, they they weren't living in a favela. You know, I think they were quite 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 well to do family anyway. But the mindset, the mindset that the Brazilians had, yeah, you know, spectacular, the and then also the belief, yeah, the, the total belief, the belief in their system that they've created. It was given to them by Count Coma. Count Como was actually a judo jiu-jitsu man who had a lot. He had over a thousand uh, pro wrestling matches. Uh, he, he was like a catch wrestler. He would travel all over and take whoever he would he would take all challengers and accept for money. That's how he made money. Would compete and roll against somebody for submission. Yeah, you, a three fall match, three three pins or submission. I, well, I remember I remember Guru Dan saying once he was doing some training with Kenny Johnson. Yes. And Kenny Johnson, the, the, it was an arm drag, but it was an arm it was an arm drag, but with a difference because it was almost like Carly. So when you went for the arm drag, there was a, there was a, an elbow pop there as well. And Guru mentioned that he'd been working with Kenny Johnson. Kenny Johnson had mentioned this. And then Guru just said, some of the old carnival wrestlers used to do this. So obviously, I'm a geek, so I want to start reading up on it. And everyone knows about the boxing booth. You know, when the carnival comes to town, the guy take on the local hard guy, there'll always be a few plants in the audience, you know, so there'll be a few of their buddies. But there would always be the local guy. And it was like Guru said, if this guy could, if, this, if the carny wrestler, you know, the, the real shooter, the ripper, that, you know, yeah, that's one thing Hooker. I love about right? the hooker. Hookers. Yeah, because they, they had the di- you had the different guys I think in hookers, the wrestling that could do it, right? Yes, that's right. But I think hookers today are different than what hookers were back then. Yeah, are we talking about wrestling? Or are we talking well, about? a lot of people get them confused. Uh, shooter, shooter. Yeah, is the same like a hooker. I have a shooter certificate from the founder of Shuto. Satoru yeah. Sayama on my birthday in 1993 gave me my shooter certificate. He said, you and Chad are the epitome of the ultimate shoot fighter because your striking is an expert level, your throwing and takedowns are expert level, and your ground and grappling is expert level. And the combination of those three, not just being like good at striking and good at ground or good at takedowns or good at ground or... Uh, good at striking and throwing without having any ground. You have to have all have all three. It's like a triathlete. We call the MMA triathlete. So it's very important you have all three. But as a shooter, uh, we call we call guys today like more of a shooter than, than a hooker. Right. Just because people misconstrue that name. Yeah. We you mentioned Sayama, right? Uh, Satoru Sayama, Tiger Mask. Yeah. But there's famously the there's a couple of clips on. 
YouTube. I think you might have there's shared a lot them of, once. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. He, where he had some of the tough best. training, right? Yeah. Oh, Tiger Hole. We call it Tiger Hole training. Uh, he used a Shanai and a lot of uh, yelling, a lot of uh, teeps. And would he hit you with? He would hit Shania. you with a Shanai or an umbrella. <laughs> wow. My, my, it's funny because he laughed. He said, "Oh, that was for show." And then all these guy, all the fighters were all together, and they're all shaking their head, going, "No." And they're showing me their stitches on their head from where they got cracked over the head from a got cracked over the head from a uh, an umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Dude, see, the, I won't want I won't want the Shinai or yeah. You, you see him booting it, booting the guys, and it, it was funny because I have mixed feelings about it. First of all, if you're going in there and you're open, and you know what you're going in there with your eyes wide open, then great. Uh, but you know, you get some guys crying about it, and so but then these guys are forced to be in there. Yeah, they've all made the choice to go in there, and at the end of the day, yeah, if you want to be tough, you got to hang out with tough people. That's just when the going gets tough, the tough get tougher. <laughs> That's a t shirt slogan. That's a right t shirt. That's a t shirt slogan. I'm sure right somebody's going to put that on their t shirt. I have to admit, Eric, I have to admit, I always thought you were going to make a million out of your t-shirts. Well, because you got some of the coolest ones in the I, world. I had a company, I had a guy that wanted to house all my t-shirts. And I showed him, I had over 30 different uh, designs, because I always had all these designs. I have a very creative mind, and, and so I would come up with something, and I said, you know, I've got to have something that other people don't have. Yeah. And the second I see something, somebody copying me or, or doing the same, uh, then I I'll obviously change right away and do something else. I've been like that since I was a little kid. I always, I always had the the coolest bike or yeah. or the coolest haircut or the nicest clothes that nobody had. And then as soon, as soon as somebody got the same clothes I had, I would give my jacket away. Somebody had the same jacket, I give my jacket away and go get a, yeah. go get a Michael Jackson jacket. And then what, if I what know, was it? Do you remember? I don't know if you don't mind sharing the story. It was a guy from Warrior Wear when he tried to give you, tried to give you shares in the company. Oh, was it, who was that? Net, Nate from Warrior Wear was a student of mine. Uh, I was teaching privates, and he came up and he said, "You know, you should really promote that whole Celtic Viking thing." And I go, "I do. It's on all my shirts." And he goes, oh, "I have an idea." And then all of a sudden, his idea was he created Warrior Wear. Yeah. And all it was was a helmet from Volcom or Dark Star. And uh, and it said warrior wear underneath it. I've still got a few of those t-shirts. Yeah, well, I have a lot of their shorts. I still yeah. wear them because they still last. But uh, in the meantime, so I helped them get it off the ground. I actually brought it to the to the Abu Dhabi and at the um, pyramid and, and helped them hand out cards. And, yeah. And then I said, Hey, do you want to get your stuff off the ground? And he goes, Yes. And I go, All right, I have an idea for you. I go, Here's five professional fighters' numbers. You're going to sponsor these guys. You're going to give them money, and you're going to give them clothes, and you're going to get your stuff on TV. And by doing that, your stuff's going to take off. And I did that. I gave them all these guys' number, Tim Sylvia. I gave them all these guys' phone number. Yeah. And he sponsored all these guys. And these guys were, were getting paid to wear his product on the UFC, and his clothes took off. Yeah, because now with the Reebok deal, that's really killing a lot of the guys. All killed. of them. All, well, all the guys had sponsorships, and they lost all their sponsorships. And even little uh, Demetrius Johnson, yeah, he had uh, Xbox. And then uh, Dana talked to uh, them, and then all of a sudden Xbox is sponsoring the UFC, and he lost that sponsorship, Ouch. which was a big one for him. Yeah, well, I, I see. Uh, well, he he did a podcast with Joe Rogan. I'm after Joe Rogan's uh, crown, by the way. Eric, so when I come over to the States and we do... Just got to work on some good jokes. Hey, come on. That guy's just got a good joke book. Now, nah, Rogan is good. He's got, he gets some great guests. He gets some great guests. Well, yeah, and he's creative and innovative and, and also he's inquisitive about stuff. Yeah. And he really, truly wants to... He's interested, yeah. Well, he's embraced in conversation because he wants to really learn. And he created that show. Yeah. Did you see that TV show he did? Which one? Uh, oh, Joe Rogan questions everything. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. great because he got he went in such such detail on like the harp. Harp is the oh the weather control. Yeah, yeah. And, and he asked he, 
and the thing is, is he didn't just ask too. He interviewed like six or seven people and did tons of research. Yeah. And, and that's really how you have to do it. If you're going to actually do a show, you don't just ask two people. No. You go to, you go to, you know, more you and more. Everybody. And, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what he did. And I was like, wow, this is a great show. And then it stopped. Yeah. What, what, what did I say? I don't know. I don't know if it just didn't get picked up again. But remember... Anytime you deal with the government and things that are controversial, it's like Jesse Ventura's conspiracy yeah. theory. They're, he's getting death threats. They're well, telling he, well, he's on the no-fly. He's on the no-fly list now. He is. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is with Jesse Ventura, first of all, you know, he moved. He moved out of the country. Yeah, he's a New Mexico. He's in New Mexico. No, he's in Mexico now. Yeah. He moved. He said, "I'm out of. I'm out of the United States," because he found out all the stuff going I tell on. Tell you what, he made. It, and the thing is. Yeah, I love a good conspiracy theorist. Like what, a friend, mutual friend of ours, Neil McLeod, right? I love Neil, he's a great guy. And Neil loves a conspiracy theory. Uh, I love, some of them, you know, I'd really like to believe that, that giant lizards were in the world. Yeah, but the reptilian, they're in our bloodlines. So, I, everyone has reptilian, a lot of people have reptilians in their bloodlines. Boy, here we go. Which has to do with the beginning of time because the called the draconians they uh they came to earth with tons of knowledge and they they owned earth and uh and humans were created as a slave race to help build and mine gold for the Anukai <laughs> and for the uh the terrestrials that were from other Can you, planets well explain explain this to me right and this is this is where my inner joe rogan's coming out now right so the pyramids and then the ziggurats. You mean, you mean the pyramid underneath the Hoover Dam? You are. You mean the Stargate? The Stargate? The, I have no idea. There's about a Stargate this. under the Hoover Dam that the government won't tell anybody about. Look it up, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. I, I am. I'm definitely on that. I can. What I can't work out is big pyramid underneath the Hoover Dam. And is that why the Hoover Dam's there? Yeah. You want know, the Stargate because the energy flow creates the. Uh, the ability for these people to go through different dimensions. Now, you see, this is... There you go, guys. There's is, a little bit of weirdness. Is, hey, no, no, trust me. It's nowhere near as... Just read about it. I don't need to say anything. I'm just prompting you guys. Read about it. There's tons of information on it. Hey, Eric, you got you got to remember, people people have no idea. I'm, I'm taking a load of... Uh, you know, some of the uh, nootropics, the alpha brain stuff that... That's great. Yeah. That stuff is great. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to decalcify my third eye well, right now. if you want to decalcify your third eye, I'll give you two, three major things that will help it. Sorry. Number one is chlorella and spirulina. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number two, uh, don't take any fluoride or chlorine. So Ever. if you drink chlor chlorinated water or fluoride-based water... Yeah. Or brush your teeth with fluoride toothpaste. It Don't helps calcify. Yeah. Okay. So number two is fulvic, F-U-L-V-I-C, fulvic acid. Immediately decalcifies your pineal gland and pops it right up wide open. Yeah. Your third thing you're going to take is called blue ice skate oil. Blue skate oil. And the skate oil is from a stingray, and that immediately decalcifies your third eye. Uh, you also, if you want to, if you want to work on your third eye, you learn the Merkaba meditation. Yeah, I've, with, done that, I've done that before. With yes, you, yeah. I teach the Merkaba meditation. The Merkaba meditation basically aligns, centers, balances, and grounds you. You have to ground ahead of time, but it aligns, centers, balances you, and it puts your Merkaba, which are uh, two star tetrahedrons, merged together to form the Star of David or star of Solomon around you, Metatron's yeah. cube, and spin at the speed of light. Well, you see, you know, you've just said, you, you've said something there, right? That one of the other things that I've really got into is symbology, because these things keep cropping up everywhere, and I'm not just on about the compass, the, you know. Are you it, talking about sacred geometry, or yeah, just yeah, uh, yeah, Christian, yeah, Christian yeah. symbology? There's all different types. Well, you see, there's, there's so, many, so many of these symbols that keep cropping up. And it, it just can't be, it just can't be coincidence. Well, like there's what? there's a lot of old stuff that, could, well, what, what I don't like right now that keeps popping up is the upside down cross. Yeah. It makes me sick to my stomach. You know why? 
because that's a fall of humanity. Suddenly, when people just start printing upside down crosses on their stuff, that means the devil owns the earth. I, I believe that uh, one of the most profound things that ever happened to human beings was when God incarnated himself as Jesus and came to earth and he died for our sins and gave his blood in atonement for us so we don't go to hell so we have the ability to actually have eternal life and go to heaven and what, what so the thing is now especially with the huge Islamic issue that's going on where, where have we gone wrong yeah as, as, as a species because it just seems to me that every time you look and we see prophets oh. being um, sent yeah but the biggest thing is your belief in God yeah. Uh, okay, so you're an atheist. You go, oh, I don't believe in God. Okay, that's up to you. Evolution, devolution. You also have the ability, uh, your free will. Maybe yeah. you're not supposed to go to a higher place. Maybe you're supposed to go back. Do you reincarnate? That's a huge question. There's a lot of proof that says you do. Uh, but at what level? I mean, I would like to, I would like to get to a, the highest level that I possibly could on Earth, as far as a human being with knowledge. Uh, skill and knowledge and spirituality so that if there is a possibility that there is another life that would come back as a highly ascended person well, that's evolution then, that, isn't then it? yes scientific evolution then a person who doesn't believe in anything that has no faith in anything that dies and comes back with uh, one eye missing because uh, uh, your karmic cycle uh, took one of your eyes away from you Due to what you've done or what you didn't believe in. I'm a lapsed Catholic, and I, if, I, if I believe in anything, I believe in Buddha. But I, I really, truly do believe that we can do anything we want. You know, we, we haven't even mind yet. We haven't even gone down to the mind yet of what we can create. We're as more beings. powerful than we even know. Yeah. We're self-creators. Uh, look at look at uh, just human technology that has changed in the last 50 years. Look at where we were. Look at where we are. Yeah. The chips. Again, I think, I think it was us, and it was also we've had help. We've had yeah. help from up above. Yeah. Uh, whether you call them angels or uh, whether you call them uh, terrestrials, uh, they're also a form of angel that come to to assist us in the evolution uh, so we can grow and, and be more knowledgeable uh, you know the earth uh, on earth we had more knowledge we abused that knowledge and it was taken from us Atlantis and Lemuria were, were uh, civilizations were far more advanced uh, well, like Atlantis like, like star, yeah of course which were, were a lot of star people and, and people from other planets or whatever uh, you know how, how are you so small to believe that are the only human, the only existence in the entire multiverse that's out there. Well, the, multiverse means many universes yeah. that completely keeps expanding every day. Well, we There's life on other planets. We all can't. Over. We, we can't. Like one of the things that um, Joe Rogan's going to charge me money now for mentioning it again. But did you see where he interviewed the guy who was up on the space station, the astronaut? You check him out. He's, he's unbelievable. The guy is great. But he, he was talking about, you know, life. You mean when the, the angels planet. appeared? Well, he, he, yeah, did you, when he was on the spacewalk, did he hear this? Yeah, there's one that said there was an uh, angel appeared, another said that this huge being appeared and started helping him. Yeah, yeah, when he was out on a spacewalk, and he was on an untethered spacewalk, uh, but he, he basically was talking about, we can barely conceive, well, we, we've, we figured it out recently. Uh, <laughs> When they when they pointed the Hubble telescope and they didn't realise it was turned on for three months, and then it, yeah, they had the they had the Hubble te telescope. They basically had scaled it right back because they were doing maintenance on it. They didn't realise it was turned on. And what people don't understand about a telescope, a telescope isn't this. A telescope is that, and it right. focuses. Uh, so for three months it was pointed in one part of one part one part of the sky that we never really looked at, and apparently. That our understanding of the universe now is like 20-fold because there, there was never any reason for us to keep looking further and further and further but the more we did it the more they realized it and it was like this astronaut said he goes it everything we thought we knew boom changed and it you know it is yeah you know, this is the crazy thing about the human existence we would have 
we would have gone book crazy if we'd have realised how near we were to the precipice in 2008, 2009, when, you know, when the money started to run out. We didn't yeah. realise, and bear in mind, money doesn't really exist. You only have to understand about the Federal Reserve to understand that you know, these guys have created wealth out of nothing. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a scam that we've, bought, we've all bought into, you know? Uh, you know, realistically, Eric... Work, we, work in exchange for money. Yeah, work for... Yeah, I have to give... Services, services yeah. in exchange for money. Yeah, why do, I, why do I give 40 hours of my, my life every week for this? To have things that you think that are better for you. Yeah. Unlike Bob Marley who said, I feel sorry for some people because all they have is money. Yeah, exactly. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. <laughs> but, you know, like what's, what's in your heart? What's your spiritual side of things? I mean, do you only look at material things? And if you do, you live in the world. You should look at other things that are beyond that. Uh, why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your birthright? Why were you put on earth? Yeah. What was the reason you were created? Why did, Why were you put on earth and what was your what was your birthright? The purpose you were put here for? Uh, and what's the ex, what's the period or exclamation point you're going to leave on earth when you're gone? Yeah. When they say your name. Wow. What's the well, yeah, but this is the thing. It's like, you know, Picasso said it. And everyone, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a Facebook meme now, but it really is the truth. It's your birthright. Yeah, first thing is find out what you were born for. Secondly, yeah, your reason to live is to give it away. Find out what your gift is and then give it away. Why, yeah, why are you here? Yeah. And, and then when you figure it out, that's when the universe aligns with you and then all of a sudden everything starts. Yeah, everything starts moving, yeah. Working your way and it's like momentum. And yeah, I'm the least most cosmic person on the planet. I'll try to, yeah. I, I, yeah, I just look at it and I'm going, I need proof. To, yeah, and that, that's one of my failings. Proof, proof is inside of you. Proof yeah. is what we do. Proof yeah, but, is, what, is what we're made of. Yeah, but Eric, look, I'm sitting in the car with you and Tonya now. And I'm, yeah, I'm not saying I have a great relationship with Daniel Osanto, but when he sees me, he recognizes who I am. Yeah, I used to read about you. I used to read about Terry Barnett. I say this. To all Terry the stuff Barnett. about me is all fake. It's no. all self-fabricated information. Yeah. yeah. Well, Eric, when you're reading, when you're reading a martial arts magazine, and you're 16 and you're getting bullied to shit at school, and you read about guys like Rick Young and Terry Barnett going to America training. And so you're saying when you were a little kid, you idolized, you were looking up to those guys? Of course. Well, how much younger are you then? Uh, I'm 10 years. I'm 10 years younger than Rick. So. So, oh, they're how old are you? Eh? Are we going to say how old you really uh, give away. No, but no, I'm not, I'm not 10 years, I'm set. nine years younger than Rick. 40, but, 42. But, yeah, but when you're, when you're a guy, when you're Wait, a 40, young... 41, 40. No, Rick's, what's Rick now? 56. Rick? No, he's not. No. <laughs> oh, wait, Rick Faye, Rick Faye. Okay, yeah, that, I think yeah. that was Rick, yeah. No, no. Oh, Rick Faye, yeah. No, Rick, Rick Faye is, I think he's like 39. He's 39 or 40, right? Who's that, Rick Young? No, Rick Faye. Rick Faye, Rick Faye is a lot older than that. Well, he sure moves and acts like he's that. He young. does. No, but the thing is, Eric, I used to, uh, I used to read about you, Rick Faye, Daniel Santo, Rick Young, Terry Barnett, and I'd be like, man, if only I could do that, man, that would be so cool. And then, yeah, you know, years later, here I am, and I, you know, trust me, I thought I'd feel different. I'm not. I'm just a more Hopefully, a, 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 a bit a better version of what you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it certainly wasn't the paradigm shift I thought it was going to be. Well, the thing is, is when you become friends with with people, and then you get to know them, and you get to train, suddenly it's part of who you are. Well, it was like one of the things I said to Paul Kelly last night. Paul was the guy who got it with uh, with with Terry. He was out. He was out with Terry Barnett, and. Terry was on about training and he said, oh, Mick's uh, training with me. I think he's conflicted a little bit because he doesn't really want to leave Lucky in the lurch, but at the same time. So Paul said to me, he goes, do you want to speak to Terry about your training? And I was like, well, I don't know. He said, do you want to, do you want to talk to him or not? You know the way Paul Kelly can be. Yeah. Paul's like, do you want to or not? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, so of course, uh, Terry's like, look, yeah, I, all I'm going to say to you is you're, you're always welcome. Uh, yeah, and I'd love you to train with me. And it's entirely up to you. And of course, how could you not love Terry Barnett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. He's got a wonderful like heart, and then he he also is a great musician. Yeah, <laughs> well, the guy's an artist. You know? Not not just that, but 
but he's also got a temper. I had no idea because we were at the Inosano Academy one time, and we were yeah. all sparring. And I sparred with Phil, and I knew Phil. So it was Phil and Andy. Uh, it was Ralph and Ollie, and then it was Rick and Terry. And these guys all showed up at the Inosano Academy for the Drunfon Phase Class, and it was all yeah. sparring. And I said, they go, Phil just won his match. And I said, how do they, how do you win his match? And they go, head kick. And I go, head kick. He goes, yeah, yeah fake low. My friends, fake yeah. low yeah. to high head kick. Yeah. And so when I got on, I sparred with Andy. I sparred, we were going, we were pretty, we were banging that day. And I sparred with uh, Phil. And all of a sudden I knew I got with Phil. I put my right hand up on my side of my neck. <laughs> and he kicked my leg and he faked the kick and then floated his leg and he kicked me right in the glove. And then I smiled. I go, ha ha, I do my homework. <laughs> and then I, you know, gave it back. But yeah. it was funny because I thought he thought he was going to drop me with that fake low to high head kick. Yeah. But I had to do my research ahead of time. Yeah. And then then I went with uh, Rick and Rick and I were sparring. I sparred with Ralph and Ollie. And then I got on with Terry and I, I like cracked Terry. And then all of a sudden he came back with like a five count combo with his hands. And then I cracked him again. And he also bap bap bap. I was like, boom, bop, bop, bop. And I was like, holy shit, Terry's not really fast. Yeah. Wow, he's got a temper. Yeah. Like, I mean, he you could see he was getting like, angry. Not angry, but he was just unleashing the beast. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, holy crap. <laughs> and I had no idea that Terry's hands were that good. Yeah. And his movement and his speed. And I was like, I, I was totally caught off guard. Like, yeah, Terry's poetry and motion. Yeah, when, whenever I had he come, no idea. When he comes to teach seminars, obviously. He's quiet. He's beautiful guy. Yeah, he talks very light, but then you can see he's got that fire in his eye when yeah. he goes. It's like, he's going to light you up. He's going <laughs> to he's gonna shred you up with his hands. I don't know if you know this story, but Bob Breen, one day, uh, Bob was being interviewed for something, and somebody turned around to him, and he said, you know, if you had to pick three marshals, you had to pick three guys to be with you in the trenches, it's going down, and you need these three guys. Who would it be? And straight away he went, Rick Young. So he said, Rick Young, Terry Barnett, and Dave Burkett. He said, but for Terry and for Dave Burkett, it would have to be for the right reason. And it, like those guys got really kind hearts. Boom, yeah. I used to call Dave Burkett a hair trigger. Yeah. Because I would joke around, and I'd just come up, and grab his arm, he'd turn around with his hand up like he was going to punch my face in. Yeah. <laughs> I go, ah! <laughs> like I'm like surprised. I mean, ah, ah. Uh, I was like, whoa, geez, settle down, Bobcat. Yeah, Bobcat. Bobcat. <laughs> no, he said, Dave's an awesome guy. That's right. And they're both great musicians. Yeah. Unbelievable musicians. Yeah. Terry's so uh They should create, they should cut an album. Well, I did, a, did an interview with uh, Richard Bastillo. Uh, Richard Bastillo's playing, he's playing the jazz. What is he playing at the moment? Oh, the bass. He's taking lessons. I'm a bass guitar in my really? yeah, five-string Fender. Oh, right. He was trying to get me to get a JKD band together. So I said that we'd get Guru. So I said, Guru will play the drums. He went, no, he'll only play the bongos. We'll have to get somebody else. Goes, no, are you kidding bongos. me? He plays every drum. Really? He plays all the drums. Oh, We're man. a tight camp. Guru played the drums for 130 rounds. Wow. One day we did 130 rounds. Guru was like, boom, 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 boom. He was playing the war drums. Jeez, man. Big, huge got... drum, like a like the Kodo, you know, the Kodo, the Japanese. Yeah. He was playing this huge Japanese drum. You're, not, was... you're an Arjan now as well, eh? Uh, yeah. What was that test like? Uh, I just, I had to do the Y crew, the, the Y crew. Arjan was nice enough to uh, promote me. Um, it, I, I slipped him some money and he just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that, that it's way. It's not true. Yeah. I was there. I, it doesn't work that way. Tiger all right, was, all right. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't slip him some money, but he promoted me. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe just because I have... Uh, I train a lot of guys, but I, I had... Um, I see a lot of guys that, that got promoted, uh, uh, that are promoted in, in the Muay Thai and they're not doing anything... They're not like they don't have fighters. They're not doing anything with it. They're not like uh, well, some guys are teaching, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some guys aren't even teaching, but the guys that are teaching, uh, I, I think it needs to be to the masses. So yeah. you know, you need to travel around the world and teach, uh, uh, change people's lives by your teaching, uh, giving them skill and insight and knowledge. And, yeah, yeah. 
you got to pay it forward, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and I think the fighting for me was good because I learned so much. Yeah. And then afterwards, now I don't have to be in combat mode and be a dick anymore. Yeah. And now I can actually be smiley and nice and, and then actually teach stuff and watch people get better. Yeah, well, you know, because a lot of times when guys fight, they don't, they don't do enough. Uh, they don't want to show, they don't want to help others get better because they're too selfish with yes. themselves. Yes. And then when you retire, your objective is to help everyone but yourself. Yeah. So you have to be selfless, and that is the highest level of a teacher is someone who's selfless. Again, yeah. like Rick Fay, like uh, Guru Dan, like uh, uh, Greg Nelson, like like Ajahn Chai. Uh, yeah. These guys are all selfless individuals, worried about the students and not themselves. Yeah, there's a, that, yeah, there's a, there's some real greats in that in that in that lineup, man. It's but the just, thing is, look at greatness spawns greatness. So you have Guru Dan. That, that helped promote uh, Paul de Troyes, who helped promote uh, Francis Fong, Francis. He helped promote um, uh, Ajahn Chai for all these years. He helped promote all these great guys, the Savat, uh, Nikolai Sonyak. Yeah. He helped promote uh, Salim, Salim Astley. He helped promote all these guys, and now these guys are all these great, big, huge martial artists. Helped me, uh, I assisted him on seminars, and, and then he had to talk with me, and he said, hey, Eric, sit down. I need to talk with you. And I was like, oh boy. And he goes, listen, I, uh, I want to talk to you about your future. And he goes, you know, the seminar life isn't a bad life. It's actually a good life. You really change a lot of people's lives. Uh, it really pays back to you. It's like training students because they give back to you. Instead of being a fighter, now you're training all these guys. So instead of getting something back personally for yourself, you get it sevenfold or tenfold or 20 or 50 or 100, 1,000. He said, because he knew that I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. He goes, you know, the movie route is great. You do movies, you get to travel, you're on TV, you become famous, you make a lot of money. He said, but, you know, some people are great teachers. And, and he said, the fact that you fought... And now you're passing on the knowledge that that means a lot. And he goes, yeah. uh, "You'll hold a lot, a lot more water with what you have to say because of the fact you've actually fought, because you've actually been on the battlegrounds, and you were a pioneer. You're old. That's what pioneer means. You're old. So yeah. basically, he just said, uh, you know, if you don't want to go the entertainment route, maybe you should go the teacher's route. Yeah. And the teacher's route, he said, you know." Uh, you have a kind heart, you know, you're interested more than, more about other people than yourself. Yeah. He said, so it becomes about everyone else and not you. Yeah. And he goes, I can see you doing that. He said, it's about everyone else, not about you. Well, that, that's got to be a cool thing, isn't it? Well, because you become invisible. It's like when you're marrying people. I, I married two people a month ago after the seminar. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook, yeah. So when you're marrying two people, it's about them, it's not about you, so you have to become invisible. And the same thing when you're a teacher, all the praise doesn't go to you, it goes to all your teachers. Yeah. It's if you're a healer and you heal, you're healing people, the praise doesn't go to you, you're just a vehicle, you're an instrument. Yeah, you're the conduit so, for all Yeah, so you, you know, the praise should go to God, it should go to you. And the same thing as a teacher, uh, they're like, oh, he's a great teacher. Yeah, but where is his knowledge coming from? So the praise goes to all the people you learn from. It's, it's, and who's your major influences? Yeah. I, Rick Faye said it a few times, and I've heard Guru say it. You know, where they'll be teaching sometimes, and then just something comes, and you go, where did that come from? And you go, I have no idea. Well, that that's also, again, which I say is when you link to the universe, which we're all... Okay, so it's called the string theory. Yeah common thread string theory but things are all related and there's sacred geometry floating in the ether all around us and how do you access that you access that creative side by uh, raising your vibrational level yeah. if your vibrational level is low then you don't access that creative side if your vibrational level is high then it's easier to access all this ungodly information right, is that, is that when you try and, try and yeah, say say stuff like that to people, 
and they are, I don't get it. So yeah, but you're the first person to tell me the vibe isn't in the room, or yeah, you just give me time to get in tune with you and stuff. Well, you can change your vibration to the level. What, what I try to do instead of change my vibration to the level is bring their vibration to my level so everyone, everything and everybody can jive together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should empower people. When they walk in that room, they go, holy crap, the charisma and the, and the, uh, the vibration and yeah. just the knowledge and, and, and the intensity and the way that, that everything's portrayed and, and uh, the way everything's shown and, and, and the simulations. And yeah. It's a whole, how can you be so comfortable? You, you, you just seem so confident. And you're like, yeah, but there's no one else in the world that's good, as good at being Mick Tilly than Mick Tilly. If you teach through your heart, what else you got? I believe it. I believe teach it. through your heart. Teach what you love to do. Yeah. Teach the information that's inside of you. Yeah. yeah find say things. Say things that only enlighten people. Never tear people down. If you do, it's a joke. Yeah. Hopefully, they know it. Yeah. Well, you you want to praise? You want to? You want to praise people? You want to boast less and boost more. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I like boast that one. Boost less and boost more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing when you see grown people, you know, when you just compliment them or you give them, it's like, if repetition is the mother of all skill, then praise is the father. And I, I, I really wish that I was original enough to say that I made that up. But if you I, praise, I if you praise people, people want to be praised. They want to be told they're doing good or better, or they're doing wonderful, or they're doing the best that they can. And the thing is, if you encourage and empower people to do their best, what else is there? Yeah. Well, that, you, and, and I'm hard on people. Like when guys screw up, yeah. like come on, for real. Yeah. First of all, you didn't run all week. Uh, you're not drinking enough water. Your diet's horrible. You're not paying attention in practice. If, if a guy stinks in the room, meaning his, his performance stinks, yeah. I go, you're either changing right now, and then all of a sudden I look, and I go, all right, go grab your stuff, leave, get out of here. Yeah. I go, what? I go, you're not into it. I don't need you in my room. Yeah. You're changing the entire dynamics of a room by stinking it up with your bad, bad low level of energy. And that's when I, I start believing in osmosis because I've seen people walk around and it's like, fuck it's me, true. dude. You've got like some psychic typhoid going on here. The minute you talk to somebody and, they, and you just see them drop and you're like, whoa. Yeah, but you, you're supposed to bring these people up. Yeah. Even if you go home and be depressed, your depression should never be in front of another person. If you got your own worries and your own problems, you never walk in a room with one problem that's on your mind that should ever come out of your mouth or come out of your body. The second you do, you need to not be around people. Remember, we have to be 51% of light. In order for you to be of light energy, you have to be 51% or more. And your vital energy, which is your light energy, if you're taxed below 50%, you're giving someone too much energy, too much light, can't help people if your light is is uh, put out. Thanks for listening today. We have a brand new show every Friday, and on next week's show, we've got this. Uh, I've always wanted to be the guy that gets on the plane on his own, and um, I I did it. Landed in LA. While I was there, I thought, I need to try and at least get some meetings and go to some offices. And one of them was the, the guys at WWE. Wow. And they saw Vendetta, really liked what I could do with, you know, stretching the dollar, stretching the money. Because yeah. uh, Vendetta was 100 grand and it looked like a million. You can listen to all our interviews on MixedMartialArts.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Mixed Martial Arts is a Pay Your Headphones production. Wow.